Hey, good morning, Foothills. It is, it's great to be with you here this morning. Thank you. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jonathan So, and I do serve as one of the pastors here. Typically, Brian McCoy, our, our lead elder, will be preaching, or we've got Pastor Cody and Pastor David, but uh, today you got me, uh, which, is, which is great. I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity. Thank you. Uh, this year, we've been studying through the book of Acts, and we've seen the gospel unleashed. And uh, this past month, through the Advent season, we've been studying through the book of Isaiah, and we've seen God's promises made and God's promises kept. Uh, and today, we're going to take a slight detour in the book of Acts. Uh, I'm sorry, in the book of Luke, rather. And uh, we're going to be looking at Luke 11, 1 through 13. Uh, the title of today's message is called Persistent Prayer. Uh, so if you want to turn there, uh, the, the book of Luke is the third gospel account in the New Testament. You'll find it after Matthew and Mark. Uh, or if you have your, uh, your pew Bible, it's page 869. While you're turning there, I, I want to tell you about a survey that was recently conducted by Crossway. And they, they interviewed 14,000 people about their prayer lives. And they asked them questions like, how often do you pray? When do you pray? Uh, what barriers do you have to praying? Uh, and ultimately, they wanted to know what their prayer life satisfaction was. And what they found was that only 2% of the people that they surveyed indicated that they were very satisfied with their prayer lives. The vast majority indicated that they had moderate to very low satisfaction with their prayer lives. And uh, I share that with you today is that if, if you're here today and you feel like you struggle in the area of prayer, you're not alone. Uh, I think we have all been there. I certainly feel like I struggle uh, at periods of my Christian walk. And I want to share that with you because I, I hope you feel don't discouraged. If you feel discouraged in your prayer life, don't be. I think as we look at this text too, we'll see that the, the disciples may have felt discouraged in their prayer lives. They asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. They saw the way that Jesus prayed and it was completely unlike the rudimentary, repetitive, vain prayers that the religious people of the day prayed. Jesus prayed persistently and he had deep personal communion with his heavenly father and they wanted that for themselves. And we as Christians want that too, right? We want to pray like Jesus did. And so that's really my hope and prayer for this message is that, is that God's word would inspire us to be a people who are persistent in prayer, that we would long for it, we, we would desire it, uh, and even more, we would feel equipped to know how to pray. Uh, so let's go to the text here. Uh, I'm going to read it here in just a moment. This passage is divided into three key themes. Uh, at first, we see the disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to pray, and he does. Jesus gives them about five petitions to bring before God daily. And all that, that doesn't sound like a whole lot. What we'll find as we study it is that you can pray this prayer for hours. Each one of these lines, you can pray for hours. It's amazing. After Jesus teaches the disciples to pray, he, he encourages them to be persistent in them. He gives them a parable about prayer that we'll look at. And then lastly, we see God is a good father who gives us what we need and who answers persistent prayer. So let's go to the text here. I'll read it aloud, and then we'll go through it a little bit deeper. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, let me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, 
Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, his boldness, his persistence, his shameless persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The big idea from this text is that God is a good father who answers persistent prayer. We see God who is juxtaposed with an unwilling neighbor and earthly fathers, both of whom who are willing to meet needs, but how much more is God not only able to, but willing to meet the needs and the prayers of his children? It's been said of this passage, much prayer, much blessing, little prayer, little blessing, no prayer, no blessing. You know, for the Christian, we have a wonderful means of grace called prayer, and we have the listening ear of the king of the universe, the God of all creation, who listens to the prayers of his children. And not only do we have that tremendous privilege, but we're commanded to pray. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So not only do we have this tremendous privilege of going to God in prayer, and not only are we commanded to pray, but it's God's will for your life. God wills for you to be persistent in prayer. And Jesus teaches us that. He tells us how we should pray. Let's take a deeper look at the prayer, the petitions that Jesus wants us to pray. You'll notice that this passage looks very similar to the one in Matthew 6. Uh, however, they appear to be under different circumstances. Jesus clearly taught on prayer multiple times. And in Matthew 6, he teaches the Lord's Prayer as part of his Sermon on the Mount. Uh, here, he teaches the Lord's Prayer in response to the disciples asking him how to pray. And, and although there's some minor variations in the wording, we would expect that. Jesus told us that vain shouldn't be vain and repetitive. Uh, the petitions that Jesus brings in Matthew 6 and here in Luke 11 are exactly the same. So let's take a little uh, deeper look here. I'm going to start in verse 2. And Jesus said, when you pray, say. Literally, whenever you are praying. And so this is a cue for us. This tells us that whenever we pray, these are the petitions that we should bring before God. And he starts by saying, Father. You know, addressing God as Father is, is not offered to just anyone. It's offered to God's children alone those who have turned from their sin, who have placed their trust in Christ, those are the prayers that God answers. And as we pray, Father, this really shapes our heart's attitude as we go before God, thanking God that he is a good Father who is caring, who is compassionate, infinitely so, infinitely wise and loving. And the first tradition that we bring is, Father, hallowed be your name. What does hallowed mean? Hallowed means to make holy. We're saying, Father, Make your name holy. Father, glorify yourself. Father, elevate your name. Father, as I read your word and as I pray and as I spend time with your people, glorify yourself in my life, in my family's life, in my neighbor's life, in Awatuki, and to the ends of the earth. This is a petition to make the holiest, holiness of God's name manifest and visible. You know, God's name is holy. It's to be honored. It's to be revered. 
and to be given the utmost respect. Today, God's name is used loosely and it's used casually. It's a great sin. I, I cringe every time I hear OMG or they take our Lord Jesus' name. They use it as a swear word. It's a grievous sin. It's so bad it's called blasphemy. And God says that he will not hold him guiltless who uses his name in vain. But for the Christian, we, we love to see God's name glorified. We love to see God's name lifted and elevated. And that's no coincidence. God has designed the universe in such a way that our worship of him is a function of our joy. God gets the glory, he gets the honor, he gets the praise, and we get, we get the joy. And God's glory, the glory of his name, does wonderful benefits for the Christian. When we see God's name glorified in our lives, we're filled with joy, yes. We lose fear, anxiety, doubt. We lose our taste for sin. We get a deep desire to know God more. We're bold with the gospel. And when we pray, God, glorify yourself, everything in our life comes together. And so therefore, this is the best the first and best prayer that you can pray is, God, hallowed be your name. Glorify your name in my life. I know sometimes when I wake up some mornings and I feel like I can't pray, and there's only one thing I can get out, it's this. God, glorify your name in my life. God, make your name holy in my life. And God is a good father who will answer this prayer. God is a good father who will glorify his name when we ask. The next petition here is, your kingdom come. This is a, a petition to advance the gospel. Father, make yourself known and spread your rule and reign through the gospel. Your kingdom come. When you pray this prayer, you can think of specific people in your life that God has placed that you need to share the gospel with and that you can pray for. You can, you can spend hours praying this prayer for people in your life. Not only is this a prayer for here and now for God to spread his rule and reign among us, uh, but this prayer anticipates Christ's return. As Christians, we look forward longingly for Christ to return. We say, come, Jesus, Lord, soon, please come. And God is a good father who will advance his kingdom when we ask. The next petition here is give us each day our daily bread. This is a petition for God to provide for our physical needs. Uh, Jesus qualifies these as, as food, drink, and clothing in the next chapter. This petition expresses our complete and utter dependence on God for the things that we need. Jesus tells us, But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need, him, need them. I think about my own children and the way that I provide for them. Uh, I feed them, yeah, I, I, but I don't just give them bread and water and say they're fine. I, I enjoy providing for my children and giving them the bacon and the eggs and the hash browns and the orange juice, all the good things. <laughs> and <laughs> Amen, yes. And how much more, I, and here I am, an earthly evil father, and how much more will our infinitely loving, caring, gracious, compassionate father in heaven care for us? When we pray for our needs, we ask God for the things that we need. We don't ask them to spend on our selfish pleasures or desires, but we go to God. He cares like a good father would about our financial needs and our physical needs and our, our ailments and our, and our sickness. God wants us to go to, go to him, expecting him to answer 
And this is not a one-time prayer. God doesn't supply all of our needs at one time. He draws us to the throne of grace daily, asking for his provision in our life. And God is a good father who will provide for his children when we ask him to. The next two petitions here is, forgive us for our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. We start by praying, forgive us for our sins. This is not a prayer to get saved every time. We know this, Romans 8.1 tells us, there, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the beautiful news of the gospel, beloved, is that when we turn from our sin and place our trust in Christ, God declares us righteous. This is called the double imputation. There's two imputations. The first imputation is that my sin, my shame, and my guilt is imputed or it's given to Christ. Jesus bore my sin, shame, and guilt on that cross. That's the first imputation. The second imputation is that Christ, who obeyed the Father perfectly in every regard, thought, word, deed, and action, his righteousness is transferred to my account. His righteousness is imputed to me. And so when I pray these prayers, I'm going to God as Christ would because I'm clothed in his righteousness. So why am I praying, forgive us for our sins? Well, right now we live in an already not yet state and even though I'm justified and I have the righteousness of Christ, I have this old fleshly body that I live with just for a short time. And uh, I need to continually turn from my sin. I need to repent and confess my sin daily. This is a, a regular prayer of confession and repentance of sin. You know, the difference between an unbeliever and a believer isn't the absence of sin. It's, it's our heart attitude towards it. For the unbeliever, they run into sin. They love sin. They desire it. But for the believer, we're grieved by it. We can't stand it. We hate it. This is a prayer of longing to no longer sin. And believer, I ask you, is that your heart attitude towards your sin today? Do you repent? Do you confess? Do you turn from it daily? We also forgive everyone who sins against us. This is one of our measures here at Foothills. Am I seeking forgiveness and forgiving others as needed? For the Christian, we're mindful of how much we've been forgiven. And so we forgive much the Christian should be the most forgiving person on the planet because we know how much Christ has done for us. And lastly, we pray, and lead us not into temptation. This is an interesting one. Does this somehow imply that God would lead us into temptation? Well, absolutely not. And we know this. James tells us, he says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So where does temptation come from? Well, James tells us, he says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So temptation is primarily conjured by our own flesh. And so we pray, lead us not into temptation. What we're really praying is, Lord, if it be your will, keep me from my own self. Keep me from my own sin. This prayer tells us that only God's power can keep us from sin in our life. For me, that raises another question. Well, if God's power is the only thing that can keep me from sin, why do I still struggle with sin and temptation daily? Why do I still struggle with it? Well, I think scripture tells us that too. I think James tells us that, in fact. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I would certainly include sin and temptation as some of those trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It's an interesting way to look at it that God uses trial, sin, and temptation in our lives to build steadfastness. Well, how? Well, sin exposes our need for the cross. Sin exposes our need for Christ. And when we sin, 
You know, our first inclination is to run and to hide, but we talked about the double imputation, right? Christ's righteousness is mine. I can approach God boldly and confidently with my sin and my temptation that I struggle with because of what Christ has done for me on the cross. When I struggle with sin and temptation, I should be quick to turn from it and to run to the cross and to run to God and say, Father, forgive me, help me with my sin. And God is a good father who will answer this prayer. God is a good father who will help us with our sin, will help us turn from it, fight temptation in our lives, and forgive others. After Jesus teaches us the model of prayer, he encourages us to be persistent in prayer with a parable. He tells us, uh, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, his boldness, his shameless persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. If an unwilling neighbor is willing to get up out of bed and wake up his family to give his friend three loaves of bread, how much more is our Heavenly Father willing to answer the prayers and the petitions that his children bring before him? Tim Keller says it like this, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. And we have that kind of access, beloved. We have that access to go to our, our good Heavenly Father with our petitions. And how much more do you think God is willing to answer prayers like Father, glorify your name in my life. Make yourself known. Make the, manifest the holiness of your name in my life through your word and through prayer and, and with your people. And, and Father, your kingdom come. Father, spread your rule and reign through the gospel as I share it with my friends and my family and my, my neighbors and my coworkers and in Ahwatukee and to the ends of the earth. Father, your kingdom come. And Father, I have physical needs and I have financial needs and I have physical ailments and I have sickness and I have depression and, and I have guilt. Father, provide for me. And, and Father, help me turn from my sin. Father, I'm turning from it again daily and help me fight temptation in my life and help me forgive those around me. God is a good Father who will answer those prayers. Jesus continues to encourage us to pray. He says, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. You know, there is an abundant, infinite supply of all we could ever need. But how do you get it? Well, you have to ask God. You have to go to him and ask. And how do you find God? Well, you need to seek him diligently. And in what manner do you ask? And how do you seek? Well, you knock. You knock like the neighbor's friend persistently, boldly, day after day. And God is a good father who will answer our persistent prayers. Finally, in this passage, we see God is a good father who gives us what we need. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I think about the picture-perfect model father in our world that we think is great, the father who is caring, loving, kind, gives everything to his children. He's always at the ball game. He's uh, always volunteering at the school. That father is evil compared to God. God is infinitely wise and loving and caring, 
And how much more will he give us the good things that we need? I think about some of the prayers that I've prayed in the past, and I wonder if I've even asked for a scorpion or a serpent and not even known it. But God, who is my good father, wouldn't give me one of those things. He would give me what's for my best and what's for my good. And we can trust God that he will answer our persistent prayers and give us what's best for us. Bishop Paul says it this way, I am sure that I shall either receive what I ask or what I ought to ask. God is a good father who will give us what we need. Beloved, if you struggle with prayer today, uh, like we all do from time to time, I would encourage you to pray the Lord's Prayer daily. Begin incorporating this into your prayer life. Uh, For me, you know, I I, I find the shower as a solitary place, and when I wake up in the morning, I know I'll be alone. I don't even have to think about what I'm doing in there, but this is a great opportunity for me to just pray this prayer and and go through these petitions. Um, I would ask God for a heart of prayer. If you struggle with prayer, ask God to give you a heart of prayer and begin praying this prayer daily and see how your prayer life takes root and how you begin praying each one of these petitions over and over again and how they expand and they grow. And not only that, but trust God that will answer. God is a good father, as we see here, who answers persistent prayer. Trust your good heavenly father that he will answer these petitions as you bring bring them before him. If you're here today and you don't know God as a good father, you have the opportunity through the gospel. You can know God as a good father who answers your prayer if you turn from your sin and you place your trust in Christ. You believe that Christ came to earth as a baby He lived a perfect life. He obeyed God in every regard and thought, word, deed, and action. And he took your sin, your shame, and your guilt on a cross. And he paid the penalty on your behalf. And he was buried. And God raised him from the dead on the third day. And he ascended to heaven. And he he reigns there until he returns. If you turn from your sin and place your trust in Christ, God promises to make you a new creature He'll give you a thirst for righteousness, a thirst and a desire to know him. He'll give you the ability to obey his commands and he'll give you the open door to come to him as a good father in prayer and to make these petitions known to him and he will answer them. Beloved, if you're here and you do know God as a good father, again, pray the Lord's Prayer daily. Bring these petitions before God and see him answer. Let's pray. Father, you are a good father. And Lord, we give you thanks for the good news of the gospel that your son took on flesh and took my sin upon a cross. And because of that, I have open access to you, to pray to you, to know you, and to seek you. And Lord, that you make yourself known. Father, I pray that you would glorify yourself in our lives. You would make your name holy in our lives. Father, as we read your word, as we fellowship together, as we pray, Father, you would glorify yourself in our lives. Father, I pray that your kingdom would come as our church becomes increasingly bold with the gospel and as we share the good news in Ahwatukee, Father, spread your rule and reign in Ahwatukee into the ends of the earth. And Father, please provide for us. Lord, we know you're a good Father and you've given us what we need. But Lord, I know that there are physical needs in here and there are financial needs. Father, help us be persistent in going to you daily, asking you for your provision and expecting you to answer because we know you will. And Father, we look forward to the day that we no longer sin, which is soon. But Father, now we turn from our sin, we we repent of it. Lord, we forgive others who have sinned against us. And Father, we ask you to help fight temptation in our life. And Lord, we ask these things knowing that you're a good Father who will answer these prayers. And we pray these things in your Son's precious and holy name. Amen.